Wow, it worked. That's <laughs> scary. Scary when stuff works. Caleb went to all the trouble to bring me a bottle of water. I did. Thank God you were here. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. You guys okay? <laughs> Looking at me like I'm fixing to shoot you. Well, you might be right. This is war. Um, in Sunday school, we've been going through the series that I've been preaching at Desert Rivers, uh, Standing Strong, and it's a study of spiritual warfare taken out of Ephesians chapter 6. And this is the, the final lesson of that study, and it's kind of a recap. And I also didn't get to teach this during Sunday school because I was gone that week. And so it seemed like the right thing to do to go ahead and, and, uh, and share it with you guys here today. Thank you for letting me be here. Thank you to Brother Andy for inviting me to, to speak to you. It's always a joy to, to speak to this congregation and pray that God uh, uses this environment to draw us closer to Him and to teach us more about Him and to use us in the valley for His glory. I'm going to go ahead and read the text that we've been dealing with. It's Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I ask that you stand with me as I, I read the, the Scriptures and remain standing for prayer. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm." Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication." To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would bless us with your presence. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us, that you would convict us according to your word, that as your word goes forth, Father, that you would grab the handle of that sword and that you would do your work in each heart and life represented here today. Father, we pray that you would give us the clarity of thought this morning to realize that the Bible is true and through the Bible you communicate to us facts that are true, and by the power of your Spirit, we are given the ability to embrace and use your truth for your glory to bless our world and for our joy. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would empower my words for your purpose. And Father, any words that come out of my mouth that are not of you, I pray that they would fall to the ground unnoticed. I pray, Lord God, that your word would go forth, for we know that your word accomplishes your purpose. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. This means war. We, we realize that war is a reality. We just don't always identify the opponent well. 
And in the course of this service this morning, I pray that we do. I pray that we identify the, the opponent. Here's the truth that I want to share with you as we begin. There is no problem known to man that cannot be resolved by the presence of Jesus Christ. That is an incredible truth, and it's something that we all need to embrace because we all have problems. We have big problems and little problems, ongoing problems, ad hoc problems, things that just come up and you have to deal with. None of those problems are above Jesus. He can handle all of them. And when you take a difficulty or a problem or something in your life that is bigger than you and you take it straight to the throne of grace, there is power there to deal with this problem. There is no problem known to man that cannot be resolved by the, by the presence of Jesus Christ. He comes into these problems with power. He is more powerful and he can handle them. I want us to think about a concept uh, that comes out of Job. It says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. Now, Job is a familiar book in the Bible, and this is at the end of Job. So Job's already gone through his trial, his trial by fire. And this trial by fire began with God saying to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. God was commending Job. Yet at the end of Job's trial, Job says, I had only heard of you though then, but now I've seen you. And in our churches across the land and through my experience in life, I've known many people in churches who have heard about God, they know about God, they can recite verses about God, but they haven't really seen Him. They haven't really encountered Him. They haven't uh, personally experienced the power of Jesus Christ that can change our lives. As we deal with spiritual warfare, we've got to know that we are in a battle and the battle is real. It is not with flesh and blood but it is with the spiritual realm, the spiritual world. As we deal with this, again, we went through this in Sunday school, so some of this will be familiar to the Sunday school people. And for the rest of you, I hope that I don't leave you in the dark. But halfway through all of this stuff, or toward the end of it, he gets to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is a key to understanding the rest of it. So we're going to start there, then we're going to back up a little bit and go through some of the, the elements of, of spiritual warfare. The, Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I, I tended most of my life to just say, well, that's the Bible, and the, you, you need to know the Bible because that's the sword of the Spirit. But that, the word here is rhema. It's a, a Greek word, and it's not logos. Logos is the, the word that's used in the Gospel of John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of Jesus. Logos is the word of God or principle of divine reason and creative order, identified in the Gospel of John with the second person of the Trinity, incarnate in Jesus Christ. In theology, there are three different elements that deal with this word logos. One is creation. The creation declares the glory of God. The next one is the collection of the scriptures of the Bible, the 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, that come together to form God's word that we, we refer to as the Logos. And then finally and most perfectly, in the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now this is the truth of God, or the, the, the logic, if you will, the, the divine reason that comes into our world. The gospel, very simply, is the goodness of God coming out of the glory of heaven into the darkness of our world. That is logos. When God extends himself into our world, that is logos. And most perfectly, that's happened through the person and work of Jesus. Rhema is a different concept. Rhema is that which is or has been uttered by the living voice, things spoken or word. Rhema can, can even be used in a humanistic sense of just talking. If I'm just out in the world, I'm just 
telling a joke or telling a story. I'm using rhema. It's coming out of my mouth. And the, the purpose that I'm hoping to accomplish is I'm transferring to you thoughts that are going through my head. You can't know what I'm talking about unless I tell you. Rhema is the spoken word. It is very simply that which is or has been uttered by the living voice, thing spoken or word. Paul would go on in this text to say, pray for me that words may be given to me. He's talking about Ramah again, that words will come out of my mouth in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In spiritual warfare, it is undeniable that we must have the truth of the scriptures in us so that we can speak that out so that the Holy Spirit can grab the handle of that word that we've spoken and he can do his work in the hearts and lives of the people around us. The sword of the spirit, notice it says that, which is the word of God. It is the spoken word of God, the spoken truth that comes out of the scriptures, that comes out of my mouth. And when that happens, it says it is the sword of the spirit, not of Chris. So this is not an argument. I'm not constructing an argument so that I can win the argument by playing chess with you uh, verbally. It's I am speaking the truth of God and then the Holy Spirit grabs the handle of that. It is now the sword of the Spirit and He will do His work in your heart and life. It is not my job to convince you. It is my job to speak the truth so that the Spirit can convince you. And this is what Paul is saying. Pray for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So let's practice. When, when spiritual warfare comes up in your life and you feel oppressed by the spiritual powers that are out there and you feel like you're, you're being put down and you can't get up and walk, you need to know this verse. You should memorize this verse. There's no weapon that's fashioned against you that shall succeed and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord. This is a powerful verse. It's a verse that we should all know. And when we feel the onslaught of spiritual attack, we should be able to respond by saying, there is no weapon fashioned against me that shall stand. Thus saith the, the, the Lord God Almighty, declares the Lord. God has said this, so it must be true. We need to have the truth of God in our hearts and in our minds so that we can speak it through our mouths. And when we do, it becomes the sword of the Spirit. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes. In Genesis 3, he started this whole process by asking the woman, did God really say that? He went right after what God had said, and he tried to twist what God had said. Then Matthew 13, Jesus talks about in parables the fact that the evil one comes and snatches away the word of the kingdom. Satan loves nothing more than to get our minds off of the scriptures and onto just current events and, and philosophy and human thoughts and get us away from the truth of the scripture. Why? Because the truth of the scripture, when it comes out of our mouths, is the sword of the Spirit. Folks, I can promise you that Satan tried to keep some of you from being here this morning because he knew what I was going to be preaching on as he was looking over my shoulder watching the computer screen. He does not want people to know that the spoken word of God is, is, an, is an incredible uh, offensive weapon in the hands of the Spirit. If you noticed when we went through the text, it said that you may stand, that you may stand. It doesn't say get a sword and get out there and advance the enemy and kill them all. It says, stand firm. Stand firm. And we stand firm in the power of whose might? His might. 
I am trusting in God for every good thing in my life. In James, it says that every good and perfect gift comes from where? From the Father. So I'm the receptor of God's giftedness, and I stand firm in the promises and in the truth of Scripture. And it is the Holy Spirit who grabs the the handle of that sword, and he's the one that does his work. There's a problem in our world, along with the schemes of the devil. It says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We need the power of God to break through the darkness that that invades other people's lives. And it is the truth of the gospel that does that. Paul in Romans 1.16 said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So as we deal with this, this, the idea of spiritual warfare, I want us to look at it from the perspective of the truth. The truth. The Bible holds the truth. Now, as we've, we study the scriptures and, and we're empowered by the Spirit, we begin to diminish the lies that are in us, and the truth increases, but it increases uh, proportionally to the amount of scripture that's in us. And the Bible corrects us. The Bible helps us to understand what truth is. In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Romans 13.14, it says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Jesus is the belt of truth. He is truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if you put on the belt of truth, this doesn't, a lot of times people want to take credit. They want to say, oh yeah, I got the belt of truth on. I always tell the truth. That's who I am. I tell the truth whether they want to hear it or not. And sometimes people don't like me because that's who I am. I just tell them the truth. Oh, you're probably just obnoxious. That's probably why they don't like you. If you have on Jesus, you have humility. And you're, you're gathered together by the truth of who Jesus is. The Logos is God's divine logic that comes into our world and in our lives. And when we operate from that perspective, we're speaking the truth, which is Jesus Christ. He is the belt of truth. And the Bible says, what about truth? Shall set you free. Get fixed on Jesus. Get focused on Jesus. Unless your life is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ, your words are going to fall flat on the floor. They have to be the words of God in order for the Holy Spirit to grab the handle and to do His work in other people's hearts and lives. It cannot be based on our logic or our our performance or our experience or our academics or anything to do with us. It must be simply focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ and in Him alone. A.W. Tozer said this. This is a great quote. I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can handle me. He's got judo I never heard of, but he cannot handle the one to whom I'm joined. He cannot handle the one to whom I'm united. He cannot handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. If you think that your morality is good enough, you are wrong. If you think your heritage is good enough, you are wrong. We are covered by the righteousness of Christ totally or not at all. If we're applying merit to ourselves, We have denied the gospel. The gospel is all about the goodness of Jesus in spite of the evil of people. One of the elements in Ephesians 6 is the shoes. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given, 
by the gospel of peace. We must be gospel people. Brother Andy pushes on this all the time. Gospel is the goodness of God in our lives. Grace getters are what? Grace givers. Brother Andy 101. And he's right. We have got to be gospel people to the degree that is part of our genetic makeup. When Jesus Christ saves you, he changes your DNA. And in that strand of DNA that stretches out and looks like crazy little golf balls, there's crosses all in there when you're converted to Christianity. Your genetic makeup changes, and there's a readiness inside of you that resonates with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This word readiness has a Greek origin, and uh, the word hetoimos means standing by, ready to meet the opportunity or challenge at hand. Ready because, listen church, the necessary preparations are done. In Major League Baseball, they've got what's called a bullpen. Do you know who's in the bullpen? The relief pitchers. Do you know why they're there? They have devoted their lives to throwing strikes. They are ready. And each one of them is sitting in there going, put me in, coach, put me in, coach. Man, I've been working hard this week. I've, I've, I can feel it. I, I know strikeouts are in front of me. Just give me the chance. That's what this word's talking about. Are we that people? Are we that people walking through life going, come on, God, give me somebody. Put somebody in my life that says that uh, being good enough will get them into heaven. Put somebody in my life that questions the truth of Jesus Christ. Put somebody in my life who their life's falling apart and they're looking for hope. Put me in, coach. Do we have that mentality? Do we have that idea of, I'm ready, God. I'm, I'm gospel-saturated. I'm ready to speak to people on your behalf. I want to speak your word. I want to watch the Holy Spirit grab the, the handle of that sword. And I want to watch you do your work in the hearts and lives of these people. I'm ready, God. Put me in, coach. Can we say we're there? And don't lie to me and go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, then let's get there. Let's get there. Let's get out in the practice field. Let's get in the, the, the scriptures. Let's talk to people who are sharing the gospel with people. Let's ask them, how does this work? How can I do it better? Let's be interested in these things, and let's be gospel ready. When I, you cut your arm, the, your DNA should have crosses in it. It should have gospel in it. We are gospel-saturated people. Now, this isn't actually, it's a very interesting word. This is not the actual word that's in um, Ephesians, it's the closest one that's defined in Strong's Accordance. Um, the top one is the actual word that's used in, in Ephesians, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it because I'd have to have a butcher's license to do that. But it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. This is fascinating. The other words are used occasionally, being ready, readiness, the adjective, the verb, and the adverb. This is the only time that it's used in the noun sense. Do you know what he's saying? This is such a part of you. It's who you are. It's not what you do. And he's talking about spiritual warfare. He's not even talking about advancing the kingdom. This is a, a huge part of spiritual warfare. Just being gospel ready. When gospel is who you are, when, when Jesus is all over who you are, and when you come into contact with people, you can't help but say, well, you know... I, one for Jesus, I don't, I don't know what I'd do. I mean, if I was in your shoes, I'd be looking for some Jesus right now. It's who we are. It's what comes out of us. It's gospel readiness in the noun sense. The only time it's mentioned in the New Testament, in the noun sense. And it's, and mentioned, it's mentioned in conjunction with spiritual warfare. He talks about a shield of faith. When, when, when you're in the battle, this shield of faith, it says, puts out all of the fiery darts 
of the evil one. What is the shield of faith? It's faith a noun or a verb. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter or the, the hall of faith chapter. And it talks about the people who trusted God and it converted into action. By faith, Noah just went home and sat there and watched the world fall apart. Is that right? It's not right, is it? By faith, Noah did what? Built an ark. Why did he build an ark? Because God told him to. He trusted God. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Moses did what God called him to do. By faith, people move. By faith, people act. The shield of faith puts out the fiery darts. Talks about the helmet of salvation next. What is the helmet of salvation? It protects our mind. We have to have a confidence in who Jesus Christ is. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As a pastor, that is one of my favorite verses. Because if I thought it was my job to straighten you out and to keep you on the straight and narrow, I'd, I'd pull my hair out because I know some of you. And if you, and if you had that same idea toward me, you'd pull your hair out too because you know me. But where is our confidence? That he is going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If God began a work in you, I am confident that he will continue that. And when Satan is reaching into your life and he's trying to convince you, oh, you're not saved. And listen, Satan has two, two uh, ideas as it relates to salvation. If you're not saved, he wants you to think you're okay. If you are saved, he wants to wreck that. So we have to be able to respond and we have to be able to say, no, God began this work in me. And the Bible says that he is faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I need to have this confidence. And when I am gospel ready, there's, it's who I am. It's in my genetic makeup. I am convinced that, that God's word is true and I'm ready to speak the word of God and watch the Holy Spirit grab that handle. Then it becomes supernatural. And we, we get into a world where... God does things that we cannot explain. And church, listen to me. That's what you want. You don't want in 10 years to, to look back and say, yeah, 10 years ago, we started long-term planning, a long-range plan, and then we had short-term planning, and we came to this conclusion, and then we did that right and that right and this right, and then we did that wrong, and we learned from it and fixed it, and so now this is where we are. The Rotary Club can do that and take credit for it. That's not who we are. We're God's people. And when we turn to God and we say, God, we're your people. Uh, even though you slay me, yet will I trust you. I belong to you. Do what you will with me. And do it in a way that when it's all said and done, we have to look back and say, wow, if it were not for the Lord. If it were not for the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's laborers labor in vain. You can labor and you can build a house but it's not really worth that much. What we're looking for is something supernatural. We're looking that as we give our lives over to the glory of God and we say, God, I belong to you. Use me for your glory and advance your kingdom through me. I will stand on your truth. I will stand on your word and you speak your word out of my mouth and use it for your glory. It'll accomplish whatever you've intended it to accomplish. I trust you to do that. Something supernatural happens. Listen to this verse in Revelation 12. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. It is supernatural for someone to give their lives for the cause of Christ. That is supernatural. Why would they do that? You remember we talked about, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What's the result? I know you guys can't see that, so I'll read it for you. 
Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What's he talking about there? What he's saying is, I was in my world. I had my life. And from Job's perspective, I had all my stuff and all my kids. And then it was taken, they were all taken away from me, every bit of it. And then I was given this disease and I had pain and I had to question every area of life. And I came to the conclusion that my Redeemer lives. That was his conclusion. I came to that conclusion. And now that my has seen you and I know you for who you are, I really don't have that much of an affinity for the stuff around me right now. And I turn to you and I say, just a glimpse of your glory is far better than anything that I could ever have in this life. Do you see this? Job realized there's an eternity in front of me, and I had my eyes right here. And right here, I had a place for you, God. I heard about you. I knew I was supposed to offer sacrifices, and I knew I was supposed to raise my kids right, and I knew I was supposed to do this. But then he, stopped, he had to stop and think, wow, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know that this is like I'm getting what I deserve kind of thing. And he came to the conclusion that he needed a redeemer. And he said, I know my redeemer lives. And the result is an eternity with God. Whenever you see this, this kind of big deal, big deal. You can have this. I'm not worried about this. See, that's end. That ends on both. It has a start, has an end. This doesn't end. So you can have this. That's what he's saying here. That's what they're saying. They love not their lives even unto death. They were willing to surrender their lives for the glory of God because they realized that our lives are this little piece of tape. They're not the eternity that stands in front of us. Folks, in the spiritual world, this means war. And if you are for one second this morning thinking, you know, I might take this guy seriously. The evil world is coming after you with the intention of wrecking your life. And if you don't, if you cannot stand firm in the might of his great power, if you cannot put on the gospel armor that God provides us, and let me tell you this, it's perfect. When God gives you a gift, it's a perfect gift. And so this gospel armor is perfect in its intention on the part of God. And when we receive it based on who he is and we apply it according to his instructions, then you're ready to stand. How do you declare war? How do you enter in and how do you become effective in the kingdom of Christ and declare war? Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. When you begin praying, this is spending time with God. It's not, it's not using the right words or going by the right structure. It's just saying, God, here I am. I just need to talk to you. I'm, I want to you know, commune with you. I'm, I'm going to read the Psalms. I'm going to read some scriptures. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to open my heart and my life to you for you to, to, to fill me with your spirit and who you are. Some of y'all are thinking, well, when do you get to the part where I pray for myself and I just want everything good? Well, that's called Santa Claus. That's what that's called. God is much more than that. He is the one who empowers us for greatness. He's the one who's got a better plan for our lives than we could ever devise for ourselves. And when we get into this prayer time, what does he say to do? Making supplication for all the saints. I think, I think the average is every six minutes on the planet of earth, a Christian dies simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There are people being persecuted around the globe right now because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We should be laboring with them in prayer. 
We should be praying that God would strengthen them, that God would speak through their mouths until the time their lives are taken so that the Holy Spirit can use that truth and change those people's lives who are in that part of the world. Making supplication for all the saints, praying for each other. And also for me, he, he, he sound, it almost sounds selfish, but if you know the, the, the Apostle Paul, you know he's not being selfish. He's saying, pray for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly. This is the prayer that you should be praying for your pastor all of the time. You need to quit praying that he'll bow down and do the things that you want him to do that would make you happy. And you need to turn around and say, and God, use him for your glory. Open the door for him to preach the gospel. Open the door for him to share the gospel. He is a, a wise a man full of intellect and, and experience. He knows the scriptures. He loves people. Pray for him that God would give him words as he opens his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That is the purpose for having a pastor. He's supposed to be equipping you for the purpose of ministry. A lot of people in church life want to look at the pastor and say, yeah, we're writing your check. You're the minister. We're the recipients of ministry. No, you're the recipients of being equipped for ministry. And you're supposed to walk out of this place saying, okay, God, put me in. Put me in. I'm gospel ready. Put me in. And we're praying for the man of God as he equips us for the purpose of ministry. But so many people in churches that I've been a part of spend so much time fussing and fuming because the preacher won't come see me and he won't go see him and he won't just bow down and do what I want him to do and I need this done and I want that. And we've got this romper room thing going on in church and we're trying to write that off as a spiritual exercise and it's not. It's an exercise in the flesh. We need to be praying that God would use the men of God to proclaim the gospel. In fact, that's how the deacons got chosen. The, the, the pastors looked out and said, man, we're, we're, we're doing all of these things that other people could be doing, and it's distracting us from our ministry, which is the ministry of the word and prayer. Brother Andy needs to be praying. He needs to be in the word. He needs to be preaching the gospel, and he needs to do whatever else God leads him to do. And he's got one of the most beautiful pastor's hearts I've ever been around. That guy loves his people. He loves you. Pray that God would use him. And he's at seminary right now. He's pursuing his doctorate. And everybody say amen. That does nothing but good for your church. And I know church people well enough to know there's going to be some people go, well, he's just going to get his doctorate at our expense. And he's just going to go off to another church. And praise God if that's what he does. It's God's kingdom, not ours. And the same God that sent you a man like Brother Andy can send you another man. God is the, the chief shepherd. He's the senior pastor. And we're under his authority. And so we pray for the men of God. How do we do it? Pray that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We pray in the spirit. We pray, we, we offer up supplication for the people around us. We pray for our leaders that God would use them for great things. And you know what happens? Now you're in the war and you can expect some blowback. Anytime you, you, you take any, uh, a few steps in the way of spiritual maturity, there's going to be an evil world that's going to meet that. In Sunday school, we talked about the fact that for every action, there's an equally opposite reaction. If, you, if you're right now, you're like feeling the power of God. And you're like, you know what? This man's telling me the truth. The Bible is true. Jesus is the way. And I want people to know that. I want to be strengthened. I want to get in the game, coach. I want to be gospel ready. If you're thinking that right now, I'm telling you, Satan is going to meet that. And unless you have the resolve to have the word of God in you, to speak the word of God, and folks, that'll chase him off quicker than anything. In fact, the Bible says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, and the devil will flee, not drift, flee. He will run. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look, I know that sounds like, wow, this is, I'm getting into a battle I can't handle. Amen. You cannot handle it. So put on the gospel armor. Know that God has equipped us for the battle, and our job is to stand firm, to stand strong in the power of His might. And when Satan attacks you, you stand in the power of God. You don't sit there and advance him and take him on yourself. He will wreck your life. But when you stand in the finished work of Jesus Christ, he has no answer. And he must flee. Folks, listen to me. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your fight's not with each other. Husbands and wives, your fight isn't with each other. Even though sometimes you want it to get there, it's not. Our battle is in the is in the spiritual realm. And all of the other stuff is just distraction. That's all it is. It's just distraction. If we get focused on the truth of the Scriptures and we look to God to fill us with the power of His Spirit, then we are gospel ready. And here we go. This is just for Andy. This is his favorite verse, and it's a good one. This needs to be who we are. Everyone in this room, if you're serious about spiritual things, this needs to be in your heart and in your head, and it needs to be ready to come out of your mouth in a heartbeat because Satan's coming after you. He's going to see you do something you shouldn't have done, and he's going to go, see, I told you. And to that we say, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The breastplate of righteousness is Jesus's. It's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness which covers me. And it's in him that we hope. Father, today we trust you. We love you. The song, Good, Good Father, resonates with us. We have experienced your grace and your love and we have come to know, God, that you are who you say you are and that you are a truthful God. The things that come out of your mouth are true. I pray that you would help us to embrace that truth this morning. Father, convince us that apart from you, there is no good thing in us. Convince us, Father, that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. Convince us, Father, that the church is your bride and you have a passion for your bride that's unlike anything we've ever experienced in this life. Father, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would move among us this morning. That you would convince us that, that your word is true. that we need to be ready. And we pray, God, that you would give us opportunities to show kindness to people, to show mercy and grace, to share the truth of Jesus so that this valley could be changed for your glory. Father, I pray that you would help us know that our motivation is that the name of Jesus Christ would become even more famous tomorrow than it is today. 
We exist for your fame. And we thank you for your blessing. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.